Uh, thanks so much for being here today. If you're here for the first, second, or third time, I'm about to give you 25 minutes to fill out that connection card that you were handed as you walked in today. And then as soon as the uh, service is over, you can head out through those doors at our info table. We got a gift for you. It's our way uh, of recognizing the fact that you could have spent today anywhere, but you chose right here. And so we just want to say thank you so much uh, for doing that. So we are continuing our uh, series called Be Exceptional. We are in week three uh, of Lego Life. So the idea that all of us, it's a quote from the first Lego movie, everyone has something that makes them someone. And that applies to us in our regular life and also us in our spiritual lives. We call those spiritual gifts. It's something where God has uniquely wired you and me and everyone around here once they become a Christian to build up the church. Like we are built for this, we're wired for this, we are geared for this. And everyone's area, everyone's making of this looks different. So as you walked in today, you passed a bucket of Legos, and we were all supposed to grab one, and mine looks like this. Yours probably does not look like this. It's different. Yet, you combine this stuff, and it makes sense. The reason why God works it this way uh, is the same two things, the same three things, actually, that we have been harping on for the beginning of the last three messages. And now, the first one of those is that the local church is the hope of the world. When Jesus did his work on earth, died for our sins, rose from the dead to prove that that death meant something, and then he ascended back into heaven, he didn't leave a politician. He didn't leave a program. He didn't leave a strategy or a video or a movie or something like that. He left the church. The church was going to carry his work forward into the world. And that has always been the hope of the world. Yet the local church is only effective and can only be effective because of the unique and diverse gifts of its people. The way that you and I fill out this thing, the way that our Lego piece fits together with everything else. And so we've been looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, of a letter that Paul, a church guy, writes to a church in a huge city. And he says this. He says, now these are the gifts that Christ gave the church. These are five different ways of looking at how you and I are gifted. And we all fall into one of these five. And he says, these are the five. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church. Like, that's the plan is he says, because of how these five are going to work together, the local church is going to flourish and people who don't yet know Jesus are going to meet Jesus. And that's where we fall today. And where we're looking at today is the evangelists. That's the third one on the verse. And the first one, the apostles, they're the brain of the church. They send everything else out into motion. And they start things that are far away from them. And they get things done that they're not immediately involved in. The second one, the prophets, they're the eyes. They see what God is doing. They convey the messages that God is trying to convey into the world. The evangelists, they're the hands. Evangelists are the hands of the church who carry a burden for people who don't yet no, Jesus. I love that. Yet, all caps, because when God looks at people, including us, he doesn't see how far, we're, how far we've fallen, how much damage has been done, what our talks report looks like, what our browser history looks like, what the state of our relationships is looking like. He's saying, that's a son of mine. That's a child of mine with whom I want relationship. He doesn't see our past. He sees whether or not we've been forgiven of our sins through Jesus. And if we're on the not side, we're on the yet side with him because he wants relationship. And so evangelists go into the mess, go into how he's going to see that happen, and they change the world. Now, this is the one of the five where I think we quickly disqualify ourselves before it even starts. Usually at the end of the message, we call for a response, and then people decide whether or not I'm going to do anything. I think evangelists, that's the one where 
We're early on. We are four and a half minutes into the sermon. Everybody's already checked out. They say, if you're a Christian or if you grew up in the church, you think, I'm no Billy Graham. Right, for the rest of us, Billy Graham was an evangelist, so that one, apostles, prophets, evangelist, in the 1900s, who would fill up stadiums and talk about Jesus on the radio, talk about Jesus on TV before it was weird, and he would tell literally millions of people about Jesus. And we decide, you know what, I'm not Billy Graham, that's not me, we're only now five minutes into the message, I'm done. Let's just wait until the last song at the end. I've already checked out. Here's the reality, Okay. This is emotionally insensitive and biologically very, very accurate. Where you sit today, you've got a higher ceiling on your life for reaching people and converting people who are far from God. You've got a higher ceiling on what you can do for the rest of your life than Billy Graham does, who told millions of people about Jesus. You've got a higher capacity where you sit right now from Billy Graham. And the reason why is Billy Graham's dead. All right. He's not reaching anybody else for Jesus. His videos, his recordings, yes, absolutely. But he himself, oh no, he's with Jesus. You, let's check it. Yeah, you still have a pulse. So God looks at you this morning and he says, that's my son, that's my daughter. And through them, I can reach people who might be currently far from God, but they don't yet know Jesus. They don't yet know Jesus. That's where we press in. And that's where we press in with everything that we have. Evangelists get their hands dirty. That's the reason why evangelists are the hands. Because the bigger the project you're on, the more your hands are going to get dirty. You finish something and your hands are clean. Like, what did you do? You didn't do anything because there's no dirt on your hands. The bigger the project, the messier the people, the dirtier our hands get. And so evangelists get their hands dirty. The reason they get their hands dirty is because people are dirty. That's us. But God sends people into the world to rescue his children, to rescue us and bring us from death to life. That's every single one of our stories. Nobody grew up forgiven of their sins. There's always a moment in our lives where we decided I was going this way and now I'm going this way. I'm asking Jesus to come into my life and forgive me of my sins. Even if it happens when we're three years old, there's still a moment. And evangelists are the ones in those situations who gets their hands dirty because people are dirty. Evangelists are also the break check on the other four gifts. Because if people aren't meeting Jesus, then there's a problem with the work. So if we, we rewind in our head back to the verse, what are the, the, the gifts? There's the apostles, the people who oversee everything, the people who send other people out into ministry. Man, if that ministry isn't resulting in people meeting Jesus, then you should change your methods. You want a picture of this? Trunk or treat, all right? If anybody ever says, you know what, we should do a big Halloween thing and tell people about Jesus as they come, that doesn't work in Southeast Fresno because 6,000 people show up to get free candy and then leave. So we change the message so that we can invest our money and our resources and our time in something that's actually going to produce a crop. You look at prophets and the way that, that the charismatic gifts are well poured out. If there's not a break check on that, and this says this in the Bible, that people are going to walk in and everybody's speaking in tongues all out loud at the same time at the top of their voice, people are going to turn around and they're going to walk out. So God puts a break check on it, not to limit the Holy Spirit, but to go after men and women who are far from God and bring them into relationship with God pastoring, like the heart of the church where we want to help people. There is a very real limit where we're not helping them anymore. We are harming them because we're enabling sin. And so we need to look at our practices and look at what's going on and saying, is what I'm doing leading to more people becoming Christians? 
If it's not, then we change our methods. Evangelists are the brake check on the church. Evangelists, like I said, they get their hands dirty, and it's great that we commissioned our kids as they go into school this week. Because they're going in, if they're going to public school, and there's so many things, so many reasons to be critical about public school. But what we did just now is we just commissioned missionaries. We commissioned young boys and young girls to go into a place and tell other boys and girls about Jesus. Light always shines the brightest where it's the darkest, and we want to be all about that. Are there things within schools where we should push back? Absolutely. Us and our family, we pulled our oldest out of the, the school district sex ed stuff, and we taught them, we took the, the girls through a program at home, you know, like, i.e., be a parent and talk to your kids, because there are things that don't line up with the way that Jesus defines sexuality that we want to lead our kids in and grow them up in. The rest of the year, we're putting them back into public school so that they can be light and salt there. Because why? Because evangelists carry the burden for people who don't yet know Jesus. And we're believing in that yet. That's why we exist as a church is for the yet. And so each time we talk about one of these, we put a person with it uh, so we can see how this gets flushed out in someone's life. And this week, the person is a guy named Philip. We hear all about Philip in Acts chapter 8. Philip is a guy uh, who didn't grow up Jewish. He came to know and understand Christianity because the church was exploding and growing, and it was growing among people who were unlike the original founders. And so Philip has a unique vision and a unique burden for the church and the way that it gets flushed out. And Philip is an evangelist, and evangelist makes disciples everywhere. Evangelists make disciples everywhere. We see this in his life because right away in Acts chapter 1, it says that the church, uh, church was starting to get persecuted harshly in Jerusalem. So the Christians there did what all of us would have done, run. Like, get out of town, go to where we can live, where we can live safely, where we can live the life that we want to live. And so what this did was it took the epicenter of Christianity, which that, at that point was Jewish men and women living in Jerusalem, and it went viral with the whole thing. They left Jerusalem, they went everywhere they could go, and all of a sudden, the balance of who was a Christian and who wasn't flipped ethnically from Jewish to Gentile. And Philip was one of those Gentiles. And it talks about everywhere in Acts chapter 4, or Acts 8, verse 4. It says, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. So it's everywhere. Samaritans, at that point, Jews, so who were the founders of Christianity because Jesus was Jewish and his followers were Jewish, they hated Samaritans. Jesus loved Samaritans. That's why the, the story of the good Samaritan that Jesus tells is a story that actually packs a punch because at that point, everyone who heard that story assumed that no Samaritan would ever be the hero. And Jesus says, no, I actually want you to be like this person. So most Jews in that day had a pit in their stomach about Samaritans but Philip wasn't Jewish. And so he goes to Samaria and he talks about who Jesus is and tons of people become Christians so much so that the church leaders go up to Samaria to hear about what Jesus is doing, what God is doing, what the Holy Spirit is doing as it changes the hearts of men and women. And so evangelists are making disciples everywhere. There's a moment coming up for us to be excited, for us to step into this. Uh, there's cards on the seats around you for a Live the Mission banquet. And what this is, is our application of this verse, right? Like, so 
Philip is making converts is people are turning from sin and turning into Jesus in a faraway place. And so the church gets excited about it. At the end of October, we're going to do this. We're going to have an evening for us to come together, hear a bunch of stories about what God is doing around the world in places where you and I might never go. But you know what? We can pray for work there, and we can fund work there. We're going to take an offering that weekend that's going to go towards Mountain View's missions efforts everywhere that we go. And if you think about, well, I have nothing to give. Let's think about this, OK? We live in a home with electricity, running water, and Wi-Fi. We even, some of us, have a home next to our home that is so big that we can park our garage in or park our car in it, which means that we're wealthier than 95% of the people in the world. And so what we want to do is instead of hoarding our wealth, we want to use that to fund work around the world. Because evangelists make disciples everywhere. And if we're not going to go personally, if we're not going to go physically, we can invest in that. We can fund work places where we might never go, places where we might not be able to go. But we can fund it. Because evangelists make disciples everywhere. So under the evangelism umbrella, what we talked about each week is there's little subgroups, sub-gifts that give light to that, get, that give feet to that. And so one of those is the gift of service. Let's check this out, how it works in Philip's life in verse 26. It says, as for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kondike, the, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. This is the gift of service. The gift of service is seen through people who have joy doing the simple things that get ministry done doing the simple things that get ministry done. So right away, the Holy Spirit shows up to him, and he doesn't say, I want you to do the miracles of Jesus. Go find a dead guy and raise him from the dead. He says, I want you to go to the street. OK, I can do that. You get to the street. He says, now I want you to run. Some of us haven't ran since high school when we had to do it for those tests and stuff. We don't know if Philip is that guy. But he's like, OK, I'm in. I can run. I can go to the street, and I can run. That's all. And from that, God does something amazing that we're going to read about in a little bit. But the gift of service is that heart that says, OK, here's the things that need to get done. I might not raise somebody from the dead, but I can go to that street. And then that person is going by. I can run after that person and catch up to their car. That's the simple things that get ministry done. Since I've been at Sunnyside now for four years, there's two things that have completely shocked me. One is hiring is everything. The people you get on the bus determine the direction and the quality of that bus ride, OK? That's totally true. In student ministries, we make anything happen with whoever shows up. Big kid life, that is not the case. Like, hiring is everything. Second thing that has really shocked me is, my gosh, there's a lot of stuff that needs to get done. Like everything, there's stuff that needs to get done. Sometimes it's big things. Sometimes it's little things. So this week, for the past few months, since Alex left for Minnesota, uh, I've been running kids ministry, which is a hilarious thing in itself. Because like for the first 39 and a half years of my life, like I thought, this is absolutely not me. Never, ever, ever. When I was a kid, like I didn't even like it. And once I got to junior high, I'm like, this is the best thing ever. But as a kid, like I hated kids church. Um, now I'm in charge. It's awesome. So one of, one of our nursery people came to me and said, we got some problems in nursery, which seriously, like if like, th that's never good. Uh, and so I thought, OK, wh what's the matter? Like, did somebody like, do something bad? She says, no, no, it's just unsafe. 
So the, the changing table where we change kids' diapers on and stuff like that uh, can easily be ripped off from the wall and then fall down on a kid, like really easily. So she said, you need to fix that this week. So I thought, okay, I know a guy who goes here who's told me I love to do behind the scenes fix it stuff. Just give me a project, I'll get it done. So I call him and say, here's the situation. We don't want any two-year-olds competitively climbing up the changing table and then pulling it down on themselves uh, because two-year-olds are big and strong and fast and all that stuff. So he buys some brackets, he buys some screws, and he finds the studs in the wall. And I'll tell you, Dwayne Johnson couldn't rip that changing table off the, off the, like it's just not happening right now. I went in there this morning, checked it out, I'm like, ooh. This thing's sturdy. And the reason is, is because there's somebody who's got a gift for behind the scenes stuff. Somebody who looks at that and not like, oh my gosh, we need to fix the changing table. Like seriously, you can't even get the changing table right as a church. What are you gonna do with the rest of your mission? No, we need people like that who can come in behind the scenes and do the stuff that nobody's gonna notice because that changing table is never moving. Like nuclear Holocaust happens, we're gonna have a bunch of cockroaches partying on that table because neither of those things are leaving because somebody cares. I'm gonna do the behind the scenes stuff. As you leave today, or maybe before you got here, you, you went into the cafe and you thought, you know what, I'll start my diet tomorrow. Let's have a donut and some lemonade right now. That donuts and those lemonade were brought here by people who wanna do the behind the scenes stuff, who wanna make stuff look nice. There's a litany of things that we can expand on and do better here at Sunnyside because we've got people who are saying, yeah, I, I'm in for the little things. I'm down for the things that nobody notices. I love doing that behind the scenes type of stuff. Each week when we talk about this, we've got the opportunity to sign up in front of the map as you head out today. And one of the areas for us to sign up for is just to write your name and your number down there. And that means I'm interested in the behind the scenes things. Let me know what's happening, what needs to get done behind the scenes so I can put my gifts, my ability to work in my heart to work for the person who cares about. I don't want to be on, on stage with a microphone attached to my face. I want to stabilize the changing table so that no kid can competitively climb, rip that thing off and onto himself. The gift of service is seen in people who receive joy to get the simple things done. Let's go back to Philip. Check this out. So he runs over to the guy on, runs over to the guy on the chariot. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replies, how can I, unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture that he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So be Beginning with this same scripture, Philip's told him, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. What do we see here? Here we see that miracles and words of knowledge show us God's power and God's love for us. So let, let's go back to the situation and look at it as it is. There's a high-ranking official in the Ethiopian government who's just randomly in Jerusalem. And he's reading the scroll that talks about how Jesus came into the world on a mission of love because God sees every person who has ever lived and he looks at them and he says, I love that person. Regardless of where they are in life, I love that person and I want a relationship with them. And so Jesus came into the world to forgive us of our sin, which separates us from God so we could have a relationship with God. That's what he's reading about in that section. And so he asks, how can I understand what this means? So we just think, of course, there are Christians everywhere, and somebody's going to tell them what it means. There's no big deal. Here's the thing. 
He's going from Jerusalem, which is like center of Christianity and stuff like that, back to Ethiopia, where there are donuts of Christians up to that point. And so God does a miracle and puts somebody who's willing to see him, because they've got a heart for service and heart for doing those behind the scenes things, chase him down and explain to him the good news about Jesus. Right? Like it's not an apostle. Apostle would have ran right past him so that he could talk to the Kondike, so he could talk to the king or the queen of Ethiopia. Prophets would have been too busy in their five-hour quiet time to pick their head up to understand that there's actually somebody who needs help. A servant, somebody who's ready to go for behind the scenes things that nobody's going to know about until the Bible is written to chase them down. Do the little things that produce ministry. This is a miracle. And miracles and words of knowledge show God's power and God's love for us. This is the type of thing that Jesus would do, where Jesus, who had the power of God because he was God with skin on, would walk up to situations and do things that only God could do. There's one moment where he's walking through town and he gets stopped because a funeral procession is going by and there's a widow whose only son is dead and in a casket. And Jesus is like, oh, I know what to do. Boom, you're alive. Funeral's over because he just got up. That's a power encounter where you meet the power of God and the love of God coming together in one situation. And the thing is, is God still does stuff like that. God uses miracles to change people's hearts, to soften hard hearts really quickly because God comes up and God does a miracle in somebody's life. That's what happened here. The guy's heading back to Ethiopia where there's zero Christians, and he happens to run into somebody who can perfectly, perfectly explain everything. So what happens? Verse 36 is they rode along and they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? And he ordered the carriage to stop. And they went down into the water. And Philip baptized them. Baptizing is part of the good news. For us as believers, when we say that we have a relationship with Jesus, when we've asked him into our life to forgive us of our sin, to change us into new people from the inside of us to the outside of us, becoming Christians, believing in Jesus at that moment, our next step is to get baptized. Baptism is the public declaration that Jesus has saved us from our sins. It's going public with what happened inside of us. And so what I want to start doing, and we've aimed for it every month, and this, week, this year we've only hit it twice, is to have a baptism every second Sunday of the month. The thing we need is men and women who are interested in getting baptized. So I want to talk about that for real quick. If you're baptized as an infant, then it's not the same as believer's baptism. Right here, what we read about here is Philip hears about Jesus. He puts his faith in Jesus. He makes the decision, and then he decides... I'm getting baptized. It's Philip's decision, start to finish, I'm getting baptized. It's not his parents showing up. It's not tradition showing up. It's Philip's decision, I am going to get baptized. And as a result of that, he got baptized. For those of you who are baptized as the infants, your parents or grandparents or extended family or the tradition you were living in made the best decision based on the information that was available to you. What I'm challenging you to is believer's baptism you're going to make the decision. So we talked about signups. You're going to make the decision. You're going to walk to the back. You're going to grab the pen. You're going to write your name on the piece of paper. And at the end, you're going to put a big capital B. I'm interested in baptism. You're making the decision. And then someone's going to contact you. They're going to help you write your salvation story, which you will share in front of the stage. And we're going to help you with every sentence of it. Because if you're like, I don't speak in public, then you're going to speak really shortly about the great things that Jesus has done in you. And then you're going to make the decision to walk outside, to take the steps up the tank, to sit down in the tank, 
to cover your nose, and then to lean back into the water. You're making all those decisions because you are a believer. That's the way that baptism is put forth in the New Testament. And so we're going to walk in that. If you were baptized as an infant, again, it's the best decision based on the information that was available. And I'm challenging you now to get baptized as a believer to step into New Testament baptism in the way that the Bible talks about it. And what we always say, make the dumb joke every single time, is if you've survived a junior high, which might have been the toughest six years of your life, then it's time for you to get baptized. We want people to grow up and make an educated decision so you don't hit your 20s and 30s and think, man, I got baptized when I was four. I wish I could make that decision again based on the information available to me. If you're out of junior high, and for some of you, that's been a minute, it's time to get baptized. If you've never been baptized as an adult, write your name on the paper at the end and put a big capital B at the end and someone's going to contact you this week about baptism because baptisms happen when evangelists and the church do their job. This is part of our job, part of growing believers is putting a public moment to your conversion, taking a moment where things go public through your life in baptism. Back to Philip. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azadas. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he reached Caesarea. So it's Philip continuing to do the stuff that he's done throughout the story. He's preaching the gospel in city after city after city. And all of us are made to do the work of an evangelist Somewhere. All of us are made to do the work of an evangelist somewhere. For me, I wore the shirt today on purpose, even though it's got a bleach stain. The reason I wear the shirt is because we got the latitude and longitude coordinates of our campus, specifically right out there, the concrete pad out front, because this is the center of where we do our ministry, is we do it here, Sunday mornings and throughout the week, here, right here. This is our place. But you know what? In about half an hour, we're all going to be gone from here, unless you're staying for the lunch. In half an hour, we're going to go home. And that's going to be your center for ministry. Because if you're a parent like me, you're raising up your kids to love and follow Jesus. That's where you're doing the work of an evangelist. Tomorrow, those of you going to school, maybe for the first day or or starting again this week, that's where you're going to do the work of an evangelist. For those of us who are going to go to work, your work, the place, the address that's on your W-2, that's there on purpose. God doesn't make employment mistakes. And you're sent there because that's where you're going to do the work of an evangelist. God places us in certain places because there are men and women with whom we are going to rub shoulders and we're going to be the way that, we're going to be the reason, we're going to be the vehicle through which God does his work of reaching the world. We get to be the encapsulation, the embodiment of the local church continuing to be the hope of the world. So for me, that's here. Later on this evening, it'll be home. Tomorrow, it'll be at, the, at school dropping off my kids as they go to do their own work. And for some of us, that place where God has his hand on your life and mine is going to be far from here, is going to be across oceans. And that's something we're excited about as a church, too, is sending people to places that are nowhere near here. Why? Because evangelists make disciples everywhere. And we are all created to do that somewhere. And we're believing that from our church, God is going to send people out to do that far away from here. So back to the piece. This is mine. Yours might not look like this, and it doesn't have to. The reason is, is because God is going to use us together 
to build the church, which is the hope of the world. We get to play our part in this so that men and women who know us but don't yet know Jesus see that yet changed. That's the good news. Let's stand up and let's pray.